This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. For many people, owning a home will be the largest purchase they make and one of the largest investments they have. But we also see homeowners borrowing against the value of that house through refinancing in order to make, in some cases, home improvements. Or some people will use a credit line for personal consumption. A new research paper looks at how a surge in refinancing activity has occurred when recessions have been around as well over the last 30 years. This is an important story right now since we saw mortgage rates declining in the last two years, and we also saw a higher level of refinancing activity in the mortgage industry. Nick Rusinoff is a finance professor here at the Wharton School, and he is one of the authors of this work, and he joins us in studio. Nice to meet you. Thank you for coming in. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Now. Thank you. So give us, uh, I guess, a little bit of the backstory as to, first, I guess, your interest in looking at this and, and how you actually went went about this. Right, of course. So, the housing market was kind of the, the focus of lots of research following, of course, the Great Recession. And the, the mortgage crisis was the place where kind of everything started. And uh, we started this research, in fact, a while ago now, soon after uh, the Great Recession kind of got going. So it's been now almost a decade since we've been working on this. Um, and uh, the big question that we wanted to ask was the rise in what is known as uh, household leverage over the course of, uh, the, of the boom, the housing boom that preceded the Great Recession, uh, kind of a, a new phenomenon, and was this a phenomenon that was primarily driven by some kind of irrational behavior of borrowers or some maybe unscrupulous behavior of mortgage lenders, or was it affects, in fact something that, as economists, we would have expected to see, given the kind of the economic uh, situation that households had found themselves in. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, if you look at mortgage refinancing over the large uh, the last three decades or so, uh, and here by mortgage refinancing, I mean again the households taking out a new mortgage, prepaying their existing loan, the balance of the existing loan. Uh, and this can be done for a variety of reasons. The main one that the people think of is to lower your lower your rate, yeah. right? Uh, but that's not the only reason. In fact, if we look at the kind of composition of refinancing, there are homeowners who will refinance to, let's say, extend the term of their loan, which, let's say, from a 15 years outstanding to, to a 30. And even though they might not lower their rate, in fact, sometimes could raise it, the, more, the monthly payments will still go sure. down because yeah. you're spreading them out over a longer, a longer horizon. And if you have some sort of liquidity situation, let's say one of the spouses is temporarily out of the job, that's something that could help out. Uh, that that family help alleviate this kind of liquidity constraint. And another uh, big kind of component, especially uh, during the the early 2000s, but also in the previous recessions uh, or preceding those recessions, in fact, was this idea of cash-out refinancing, extracting the home equity that you may have accumulated in your house, either by steadily making your payments and lowering your balance over time or taking advantage of the house prices that had recently recently risen. So taking out a loan with a larger balance than the balance on the outstanding mortgage and kind of cashing out uh, the difference that goes into your bank account and you can use it for your home improvements, but also people, of course, use it for <laughs> consumption, buying cars, boats, whatever. Um, yep. And again, that is something that we did see quite a bit uh, during the early 2000s. But what is interesting is that the share of this cash-out refinancing activity as, uh, as, a, as a share of total refinancing has this very cyclical behavior. It tends to peak 
uh, around a year to two years from a start of a kind of officially dated uh, recession. So we saw this in the 91 recession when uh, the various measures of cash-out refinancing peaked in 89 to 90. We saw this in 2001 recession when uh, this, this re- cash-out measure peaked in 2000. And, of course, the Great Recession started in 2007, and we saw these cash-out refinancing measures actually peak in, in 2006. And what's interesting, in fact, the same measures have all peaked in December of 2018. So we're wow. within this one- to two-year window Based on, of course, the last three observations, the last three recessions for when kind of a recession might might start, and today's kind of uh, disappointing unemployment uh, or employment report may have something to kind of to, to to bring us to think about it. But our focus was to understand well why is this why what why is this behavior kind of happening. And if we look more closely and build a model, in fact, what we do is build a, a detailed model of a household behavior, household balance sheet, and mortgage prepayment refinancing, uh, given uh, what we know about the behavior of household incomes over the over the, the business cycle. What you see is that there's sort of this late stage of an economic expansion when um, house prices, especially this happened, of course, in 2000s, house prices rise much faster than household incomes, and in fact, sure. household incomes were starting to starting to lag or starting to slow down. Um, and a lot of households find themselves in this position where they think that, well, maybe my income is going to improve in the future, yeah. but I have all this wealth trapped in my home. What can I do with this? And this is what's driving the, the cash-out refinancing activity. At the same time, typically at this late stage of the cycle, the Fed has already started raising rates. So refinancing for the rate reasons is no longer the primary primary driver. Right. And so, for as you allude to in the paper, to a degree, this is a, an activity like believing the house is like an ATM or it's a credit card. Exactly. This is the term that we, of course, did not come up with. During the 2000s, people people started using this exactly because its activity became so prevalent. You're taking out cash from your home through the process of cash out refinancing. It was so prevalent that uh, President Obama used it, I think, in discussing with his economic advisors about kind of the the, the origins of the the housing crisis. So uh, this idea of houses ATM is central to, to to our analysis. What we want to wanted to understand is how kind of irrational that activity uh, is, and we don't find that the primary driver of this cash out refinancing activity during the 2000s, in particular, was. Per- was was a sen- kind of extraordinarily irrational. Right. There may have been an element of irrationality there. We still don't fully understand what drove the house prices to the heights that we saw uh, during that time period. So, of course, there is scope for a kind of irrational extrapolation and so on in the housing market itself. But as far as households taking out uh, home equity and converting it into liquid assets, converting it to some extent into consumption, converting it into home improvements, and so on, during a time period when the incomes are kind of lagging behind house prices, and it's not unreasonable to expect that they will improve, is a perfectly kind of a rational economic solution. And so I, I think a lot of people, when you look at some of the dynamics that are at play right now, Obviously, we saw mortgage rates in the last year come down off of some decent highs. I know a lot of people have refinanced their mortgages when they dip down to 375, 365, that that, uh, territory in the last few months. Going back a couple of months, obviously, there was uh, the the concern taking place when the 10-year inverted with the two-year. Uh, on the Treasury notes, and there were some dynamics that said, okay, we're getting ready for a recession when that was concerned. 
So now we have a lot of people saying, well, the dynamic doesn't look like we're going to be heading for a recession. So how do you take the data that is potentially out there now, knowing what you know about recessions over the last uh, 30 years or so, where do you think we are right now? What kind of dynamic could be at play here? Right. Well, I think what we see in this uh, refinancing data is very consistent, actually, to what we see in the, in the, in the Treasury bond market. It, this inversion that people talked about, it it generally, historically, has predicted a recession, but not an imminent recession, a recession in the next couple of years or okay. so. So we are kind of within that time horizon since this last inversion that uh, that that people talked about. Uh, you know, time has passed, but a few more months, and we could easily find ourselves in a in a slowdown. Now, of course, the Fed has kind of paused the, its its rate hikes and now has eased a bit, uh, and it's possible that they'll respond aggressively, and that, of course, could alter kind of the path. It's not like the future is set in stone. The Fed is, to some extent. Uh, you know, f- acting to alleviate the possibility of uh, of a recession, and maybe f- have they not uh, cut when they did, we would have seen the slowdown. But that's kind of hard to hard to tell. Now, there's a u- unique dynamic, and, and correct me if I, I think I got this right. That in the recessions going back to like eighty nine, ninety, and and into ninety one, and then around the dot com bubble, you use the term jobless recoveries, where the economy is recovering. But the job growth is kind of stagnant. In this one, obviously, it was such a significant decline that we haven't really seen the the wage growth, I think, that a lot of people would like to see. But we are seeing the numbers of jobs come back. That's right. And it, it, in fact, we've seen recently some uh, growth in wages, and especially the lower segment of uh, kind of the skill distribution of the wage distribution. But you're absolutely right that by and large, in the last three recessions, we have seen these jobless recoveries where uh, the economy seems to expand following following a recession, but it's not happening kind of along with the kind of rapid growth in in jobs, especially jobs. Uh, again, at the lower segment of the what we call skill distribution, basically uh, jobs that don't require high level of education, jobs that are not invo- kind of involving a kind of cognitive uh, cognitive ability and so on. Yeah. And in fact, I have research on this as well, and we we argue that the, the large chunk of this is, uh, of course, due to the rise of automation, and automation technology, uh, basically substituting for those jobs and and basically taking some time. Uh, for either the workers to, to to retrain and find jobs in kind of more skilled occupations, mm-hmm. or kind of unfortunately drop out of the labor force um, altogether. Now, again, recently we have seen some pickup, in fact, in employment in these lower skill occupations as well. But it took quite a quite a while since the end of the Great Recession for us for us to see this, which again, kind of uh, kind of what what we expect. Going back to the to the cash out piece that, that you talked about before, how prevalent was it? in and around the Great Recession, and also how prevalent was it in the prior recessions as well? So certainly during the housing boom and at the peak of the housing boom, again, 2006 was sort of the peak in terms of the cash out, uh, it was it was a large fraction, over 80% of refinance loans uh, or more involved some cash out. And in fact, the ratio of the new rate in mortgage interest rate that households got on their 
new loan when refinancing was actually above one. It was yeah. well, 1.14 or something like that, which normally you would think if you're refinancing, you, you want lower rates. So that sure. ratio should be below one. But again, this has happened in every uh, in every of the last three recessions, kind of a year to two years before this this uh, this fraction of cash out refinancing peaks, the cash out refinance volumes peak, and this ratio of new rate to old rate on average kind of goes above one, telling you that a lot of households are using their refinancing of their mortgage for these liquidity reasons as opposed yeah. to to lower their rate. They're either extending their term or they're cashing out uh, this accumulated equity or both. And if you look at you know, the average appreciation of properties that are being refinanced at the time, you see that those are uh, the houses that have appreciated the most that get these cash out refinancing. So what do you think the, the most important component is for the consumer to think about moving forward? Because obviously the cash out is still something that's going to be out there. It's going to be a, a piece to this to this industry moving forward. But I guess th- there is an element of, of let the ba- let the buyer beware when you're when you're going down that road. Absolutely. And I think something for house uh, households to be aware of is that uh, the belief that house prices only go up is completely erroneous, even though, of course, it gets propagated by uh, various uh, various parties. Uh, so when you tap into that home equity, you have to know that it it might not be there forever. The, the value of the house, according to Zillow or whatever, that where, where you see what your house is worth now might, might in fact go down and probably will happen in the next recession. So it's it's not that you shouldn't use that equity when there is a good reason for it, when you need the a temporary liquidity. Let's yeah. say again, there's some expenses that absolutely have to be covered and it's much cheaper to borrow by refinancing your mortgage and cashing out than let's say borrow on a credit card or get an unsecured loan. And you know that you will be able to to, to repay it given your kind of projected income path. Yeah. That's uh, that that's fine. That's perfectly rational. And the, the house is your is your asset that you can use to kind of as a buffer uh, for, for your liquidity needs. But it you have to understand that there is no certainty in uh, what the value of that house is going to be going forward. And if something happens and you can no longer kind of afford that mortgage, if you have an income drop, you might find yourself in an uncomfortable situation. And that's kind of what we what we saw during the mortgage crisis. I, I think that it's going to be interesting moving forward because of, of some of the dynamics that are at play right now. When you think about the, the wage growth numbers and the fact that while you know we've seen them in the monthly jobs report be around 3%, 3.1% in the recent months, still the expectation is we're not going to see the type of wage growth that I think a lot of people would like to see, a lot of economists would like to see. So it almost, I think, has to be a mindset that, as you talk about that income path, that people maybe need to take a step back and understand that, okay, maybe I have a, a belief of what my income path may be, but there's absolutely no guarantee that that's going to occur in the next five years. Absolutely. That's that's absolutely correct. And I think what what in part happened, and you know, we don't necessarily have very uh, very direct evidence of this but what in part happened during the kind of housing boom that eventually turned into a crash people expected incomes to recover like they had done before following a recession yeah. and they just weren't weren't doing it and uh, eventually it turned out that uh, some of those income declines especially again in the lower end of the wage distribution were 
much more persistent than than one would have expected, and that caught I think a lot of people off guard. And, and I and I think there's something, and I've mentioned this in the past with a couple of uh, of economists, and, and to get their opinion, and I'd love to get yours as well. Is is the mindset that the the Great Recession was, as a lot of people said, is so different than what we really had seen going back, you know, especially the last couple of recessions, that you also have to have that mindset that. Each recession can be different from the other in in a variety of different ways. And maybe there's not enough of, a, of an expectation of that actually being the case. That's absolutely right. Uh, the Great Recession was special, quote unquote, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> yeah. um, it was obviously a, a large event that was compounded by the financial crisis, probably. The fact that we have this massive technological transformation going on. Uh, probably also had something to do with how painful it was for a lot of people whose jobs were lost and never came back because they became they got replaced by machines, computers, and so on. And and now we're going to see again artificial intelligence going for maybe even more skilled jobs than 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 what happened in, in the past. So we can never. Um, expect that the last kind of uh, or the, the last war will be fought again, right? The, the 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 things don't get replayed exactly as they did before. Even though we see some of these synchronicities, some of these uh, kind of correlations in the financial markets pointing to things that they that, that indicate a recession and 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 so on. We don't know when the recession will come, but we also don't know what it will look like for people in the different. Uh, different economic situations also. So if if you hear somebody say to you, because of, obviously, the, the when you're talking about the Great Recession, part of it also was how banks treated a, a lot of these instances. And, and obviously, there have been changes in, in, in the rules moving forward. Is it too easy to say we shouldn't expect a lot of this stuff to occur because of some of the changes that were made policy perspective? Or should we just have the mindset of, okay, this can happen? in kind of any environment moving forward? I think the right mindset is this can happen. It might not happen the, the way it happened before, right. precisely because just like, again, the generals who fight the previous war, regulators also fight the previous crisis. So the solutions that were put in place to prevent, let's say, excessive borrowing in the mortgage markets uh, may have made it more difficult to borrow. And now if you refinance your mortgage, you have to sign a stack of papers yeah. that uh, that is probably <laughs> 10 times bigger than what it was before, uh, that doesn't mean that it's going to completely eliminate uh, eliminate the behavior or eliminate the rationality on the part of some borrowers who think that their income is going to be much rosier than than it is. But it's also possible that it, it, the problems are going to appear somewhere else. I mean, when sure. people talk about the student loans now being a, yeah. kind of a large chunk of, uh, of uh, household uh, indebtedness, uh, much more so than it used to be before. Still, mortgages, of course, are the largest, uh, the largest liability for, for the vast majority of households. Uh, but it, it, it's not guaranteed that that will be the, the problem area going forward. Yeah. And uh, I think looking at the overall balance sheet uh, of the household is kind of the right thing. And, and every household should know for themselves where their vulnerability is. And, yeah. you know, student loans are not as easily discharged, in fact, uh, yeah. as, uh, as a lot of other debts. So that's something that's definitely to be aware of. I, I think it's a great point there because it, it's like the philosophy of same problem, just different county. 
that, you, that you're dealing with exactly. in this. It could be the same problems, just in different different lines of the balance sheet. So then in doing this work, in doing the, this research, obviously th- this touches on something I think that's, that's important now, and it's going to be important moving forward in, in the future. Is there a next step that you would like to take playing off of this research to learn more going forward so we can kind of have an expectation, set a pattern moving forward so that we don't see potentially as significant a problem as we saw surrounding the housing crisis? Absolutely. So one of the steps is to understand the role of these expectations and to what, to what extent the expectations that people had let's say, in the early 2000s of uh, recovery in the jobs market, recovery in wages, uh, and what the what role specifically that played in maybe over-indebtedness as well as the kind of driving the house prices maybe further than uh, than, than they should have gone. That's that's definitely kind of a, a question that we don't have a 100% kind of nailed-down uh, answer for. But also, I think understanding uh, the other sides of household balance sheet is is extremely important. Again, as I said, you know, student yep. loans are potentially problematic, and there is there there are of course economists uh, who are who are working on understanding this. Uh, we have PhD students who, who who work on this for their dissertation and so on. Uh, so these are definitely questions that uh, that should be should be addressed and need to be addressed. And you know, I'm looking forward to working on some of these with some of my co-authors. And- it- it's really good work, Nick, and thank you very much for coming in and explaining it. And, and I look forward to talking to you again about this because, as you mentioned, with the student loan issue, it's going to be – it is now, and it's going to continue to be an issue here in the United States for a long period of time. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate thank it. you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank, thank you. you. Nick Rusinoff, a finance professor here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.